Yeah, we back. We are here. Another episode in the studio. The studio. <laughs> which is Ryan's office. My office. And we're out here. Ryan, but before we get into the, the fun topic of critical race theory today, um, you have a confession to, <laughs> to make, don't yeah. you? Yeah, I've got a confession to make. Uh, basically. Episode one, right? Episode one. Here's what ended up happening, guys. I didn't get a fact right. Oh, no. And uh, so that means everything I said lie. is illegitimate. Yep. And, uh, get owned, liberal. Done. Yeah, now I'm just a <laughs> lib getting owned. Uh, basically, I said in our first episode, like real episode, not the trailer, that the SBC uh, eventually was formed because of not having black membership and voting over whether or not you could have slaves be part of the congregation. But that's actually not the whole story that's part of the fallout of that, but really it was just over whether or not we should have slaves at all. Fake news, Ryan. Yep, there you go. <laughs> Fake news. So just the SBC formed because pastors, parishioners, and the, the council of the SBC was just like, yeah, slavery's cool. And then other Baptists were like, mm, I don't know about that. And then the SBC was formed on that. How dare you get your racism facts wrong? Yeah. It, it, since the racism was actually about just owning slaves in general and not about slaves' membership. Right. Since it wasn't about the personhood of um, a slave, it yeah. was about owning them. It, yeah. How dare you? How dare I, I do can't that. listen to any other episode nope. now. So, for the three viewers we have left, which is probably my mother, I, I don't know, maybe your mom. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and then some random person Hi, in Uruguay. Thanks for listening. <laughs> now, it's just us five now, carrying from here. Just carrying. Um, well, speaking of fake news and bad things, um, we're going to talk about critical race theory and intersectionality, but mostly critical race theory. Ryan, this has gained a lot of steam lately. Where Where has it shown up? Maybe what are some of the areas in pop culture we've seen critical race theory? What are some areas you've seen it pop up? Why is this a, a thing? If someone's like, what What the heck is that? Why are you guys talking about critical race theory? For those who don't know, what, what is kind of the, the scuttlebutt about it right now? Yeah, so critical race theory is like the new thing to basically accuse anyone of <laughs> if they're talking about being a certain ethnicity and how that's affected them. Um, so it, it kind of has shown up in articles and shown up in the academy and it's shown up in... Uh, debates among evangelical elites per se and when I say elites I don't mean like people that are better than you I'm just talking about like well-educated large internet or ministerial platforms or academic platforms to be able to have a wide net lots of followers on Instagram or Twitter or lots of uh, blog subscribers and so basically CRT or critical race theory is this new way to say you uh, you're bad you're yeah like it's a it's a new thing to critique like uh, again like as followers of jesus if you've noticed in the last i don't know 80 years the, our favorite thing to seem to do is to like be against stuff and like pick things to like critique and be mad at and so there's True. a lot of criticalness there's over a war critical on christmas theory. ryan it's a war on Christmas, bro. We Starbucks almost a, did it to us. We didn't even get to celebrate it this year. No. Actually, this might be the last year we get to celebrate it once Biden takes over. Yeah, no because more Christmas. the totalitarian regime is coming. That's right. And we better be ready. Christmas is over. Starbucks took it off their cups. Uh-huh. And some people were even saying Xmas. What? Can you believe that? They're putting serious? the X out of out of Christ. They're taking the X, like the Chi from the Greek alphabet, or just the Christ from... Oh, gosh. 
What are we going to do? Yeah. Well, so speaking of going back to critical race theory, not Christmas, although Christmas was alive and well this year, even though it was COVID. Yep. Basically, the, the Southern Baptist Convention, even though they're now something different, they still go by that, mostly. <laughs> the Great Commission Convention or Commission, whatever it is. Uh, yeah. Great Commission Baptist. Great Commission Baptist, yes. Um, that hasn't really taken root other than with J.D. Greer. But the the <laughs> oh, Southern, Southern Baptist Convention, they had seven, I'm pretty sure it was seven of their presidents of the different universities, a bunch of uh, Southern Baptist universities, kind of like there's evangelical universities. They all came together and they wrote this big article basically saying, we denounce racism and we denounce critical race theory as a means of fighting racism. Right. So a statement about, a, uh, mostly about critical race theory, because <clears throat> yeah. everybody knows we're against racism, we're Christians. Sure. We just wanted to make sure we also denounce critical race theory. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people are really into this right now. It's kind of the new, um, well, I was going to say it's the new Marxism scare, okay. although that scare is back as well. Yeah, that, that's just floating around <laughs> yeah, right now. So, Ryan, ha- have you ever been accused of being a critical race theorist? Yes. Uh, are you one? No. <laughs> Hummy, the funniest part about this episode is that I mean, admittedly, I didn't even know what it was. And Colton's all like, yo, we're going to do an episode where we explain what this is. And then we were both like, oh, wait, <laughs> we don't know what it is. Dang. Okay. Yeah. So I guess it's time to figure it out. Because I, I honestly didn't think it was like a big deal or or even like something we would talk about or care about. But I mean, as a black man, I'm not surprised that if you say the word race, <laughs> all of a sudden... We have to now you're, freak out. You're a critical race theorist or a crit, yeah. as what some of them call. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as we were thinking about this episode, just so you know, um, we don't know a ton about this as much as anyone else does. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, because of researching for this episode, we probably know more than 90% of people who are accusing people of being critical race theorists. And that is not to say that braggadociously, but simply because yeah. no one actually knows what this is. No. No one knows what critical race theory is. And those who do, they just know it's really bad. Uh-huh. But don't they can't even maybe articulate it. So <clears throat> as we get into this, if you're listening, and you're like, oh, critical race theory is super bad. Um, I'm so glad they're going to talk about it because it's so bad. I'm like, first, like in your head right now, can you formulate a definition? <laughs> um, and then can you go check that definition by something on the Internet or a book you can read? Um, I'll put a book in the footnotes that I read because most of you probably have no idea what it is. And for those of you who are aware of it, have no ideas. And for those who have accused Ryan or have accused me of being a critical race theorist, there's just if you actually research it, there's a chance you'll find out that we're actually not, and you just don't like some of the things we say, which is okay. You can yeah, you, you can, can hate all the things we that. say, but just don't accuse us of something that we're not. <laughs> right. Uh, so anyway, I want to start with a quote from the president of my alma mater mm. um, when he was talking about this because he the SBC came out with their big statement, and so he's like, "Well, we get to come out with our statement here at Biola," and so he said. I don't really know what critical race theory is, and we'll need to do more study. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You mean the president of one of the most well-known evangelical seminaries in America says he doesn't know he, what this is? He had some humility to say, Whoa. oh, wow, everyone's really mad about this. To be honest, I don't really know what it is. And instead of just getting mad about it as well, I mean, he actually wrote some good things about some of the things he heard about it and like how that might be not a good thing or might be a good thing. But he actually quotes um, some other people. But before we get into all of that, um, there's one caveat for us white Christians in the room, uh, which is just me in this room. <laughs> um, and for those listening, the three viewers we have left now after Ryan uh, spread fake news. Yep. Um, 
I think we need to like kind of realize our place. So like if we want to get out and denounce the bad ways to go about racism, we need to first really make sure we're going about racism at all. <laughs> like trying to fight it. Because <clears throat> if we just are the ones who talk about, hey, Black Lives Matter shouldn't protest this way. Or, man, I really hated how Malcolm X did this. Or, man, they, they why do they have to do it this way? Why do they have to do it that way? First, we need to check the language of they in that. <laughs> um, but two... Um, are you actually fighting racism in any kind of way outside of just saying, I don't, I like black people. And so there's this quote from Charlie Dates. He's a black pastor in Chicago um, who was formerly a part of the SBC. And once he heard about their statement, he, he wrote an article in response um, that was titled, We Out, <laughs> announcing their leaving of the SBC. And this quote, <laughs> this quote says, when did the theological architects of American slavery develop the moral character to tell the church how it should discuss and discern racism? When did those who have yet to hire multiple black or brown faculty at their seminaries assume ethical authority on the subject of systemic injustice? How did they, who in 2020 still don't have a single black denominational entity head, reject once and for all a theory that helps to frame the real race problems we face? So if your church spends more time denouncing Black Lives Matter than denouncing racism or fighting racism, maybe they should just shut up. It's basically, you know, and if your church has a history of like, you know, with SBC and evangelicalism of like owning slaves, maybe you who came from the tradition of owning slaves shouldn't be the one to tell others how to fight racism in the here and now. It's kind of like, you know, for me who struggled with with a, a lust history, a porn history, whatever. I might not be the best person to condemn someone's strategies of fighting porn when I myself have struggled with it and haven't figured it out. We're just mm. maybe not in the best position um, mm. to do that. And so let's, let's just not. So anyway, Ryan, when, when you, when you think about CRT, as we get into the definitions, what, what maybe bothers you the most about the accu- accusations before we get into like talking about what it actually is, yeah. what bothers you about the accusations of it? The, the, what bothers me about the accusation is it's such a, it's such a, a muddy and, and large theory. It's kind of nebulous, I guess is the word. And then what ends up happening is it's just another definer and label to just abdicate responsibility. I think that's where it makes me the most frustrated. It's just, it's kind of like the one episode we did where it was like, well, the best way to fight racism is the gospel and, and, and prayer. prayer. And then the biggest two problems are people not knowing how to share the gospel and, and they don't pray. And I see that as a pastor. And so as a believer, it's easy to blame and make up labels and hide behind definitions because we're so about the intellect in the West. We're just so about having things right. And so many of our conversations, even at church, are just based around being right or wrong. Yeah. Just believing the right thing. Just believe the right thing. You don't have to do thing. it. Yeah. Just believe it. And so then when I hear about, oh, critical race theory, let's denounce it, that's just more like intellectual feel good for people <laughs> to take some high ground to say that this is bad and then to not do anything. Yeah. So that's the ultimate rub is it's, let's say it's bad and then not do anything. We yeah. wouldn't do that with our kids if they came home from school and they were getting made fun of or being called names. Like if a kid came home to you, you like you have a six-year-old son comes home from first grade, and he gets called a name that he doesn't know, but everybody else knows it. But then you, as a parent, say, "You know what? That definition actually doesn't mean anything. So you're just fine." And you don't actually discuss that. You don't discuss how they feel. You don't discuss how uh, th- there's things that triggered or charged that label to be defined. You just say, 
No. And just ignore it. Well, then what's going to happen is your kid's just going to feel missed and you're not actually going to deal with the problem. And so here we are again with another label that we don't actually want to explore. Even though Christians have the gospel, we have intellectual freedom. Church fathers were brilliant. People in the church for thousands of years have been super smart and can take a, they can take on any sort of intellectual discipline and be fine. But then CRT comes out and it's like, oh, we just can't talk about that. We denounce it. Like all of a sudden our brains melt yeah. when you hear the label critical race theory. Well, it's so dumb. If you say anything that is somewhat in accordance with critical race theory, I can't even listen to you now. Yeah. Because you're so brainwashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like Christians literally can deal with anything intellectually or rhetorically. Nope. Nope. Yeah, guess this not. This is where we draw the line. So so that's that's <laughs> my problem is, cool, another label to just abdicate responsibility and not do anything. I, I have this friend of a friend of a friend. Uh, that way it's really detached from me and no one can know who it is. Perfect. Um, <laughs> who on Facebook, I heard about this through a friend of a friend. Um, they were denouncing uh, some of the Wayfair stuff. I don't know if you guys knew about that era where Wayfair was, there was like this rumor and conspiracy that Wayfair was selling kids in cabinets um, or something like that. Oh, <laughs> um, dude. Sex trafficking. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to watch a lot of videos about this because my friend sent them to me. Um, but this one, this one person denounced it saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe they would traffic children, Wayfair, oh my gosh, let's boycott them, yada yada, this is so yeah. bad, let's boycott Wayfair, anyone who's associated with Wayfair is bad and evil and yucky. But then her other posts are, you know, endorsing and cheering on her sister, who's a porn star. Whoa. Um, so there's this reality where, you know, at the end of the day, our white churches have perpetuated racism and negative things more than critical race theorists probably have in our society at this point. Maybe in the future, critical race theory will really take over and it'll be really bad. Yeah. But as of right now, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, hey, that girl, that her her sister who does porn, the porn industry is probably contributing more to the desire for sex trafficking, for the need for sex trafficking, and for the exploitation of young women than maybe this conspiracy of Wayfair. So I'm glad you can pat yourself on the back. And say, well, at least I'm not supporting Wayfair. At least I'm not a critical race theory uh, or a crit. <laughs> mm. But at least, you know, at the end of the day, you're still not really doing anything to help the real problem. Yeah, let's just get out and use language and say yeah. we're against this with our language and then not do anything. So oh, as boy. you can tell from what our views are on CRT. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> no, guys can tell. About it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so... Critical You're going to hear papers flipping because I got my notes on this one. Uh, critical race theory is basically, for those of you who don't know, it's a, which is pretty much all of you, um, is a very new theory <laughs> of seeing the world systems um, and whatever and providing solutions arising. Um, that, this kind of came out of the mid-1980s. Um, it's rooted in critical legal theory, um, which is rooted in critical theory in general. And these are all big words that you probably have never heard of, which mm. is okay. Uh, we'll, we'll break it down for you. Um, some of it is rooted in some radical feminism. Um, it's rooted in some European philosophers, and it also is rooted in civil rights leaders like MLK, W. E. B. Du Bois. Um, du Bois. Which is, which is so du Bois, cool. but it's fine. I know. But <laughs> it's just Du Bois. Du Bois. <laughs> it's, it's so cool. You need him. Um, and then Frederick Douglass. So Naturally. they root themselves in some radical feminism, and some European philosophers, and some civil rights leaders. Um, so there's some good in there. Obviously, a lot of us would agree with MLK, um, with Du Bois or Du Bois. Um, and Frederick Douglass, and maybe some of us would disagree with some radical feminism and different things like that. And to give you some framework before we go dive into definitions and what CRT is all about or what crits hold to, um, it might be found in books like White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. If you've ever read that, I have read it. And it's, it's pretty much the framework that Robin uses. And then possibly even in Ibram Kendi's How to Be Anti-Racist. So even some of our anti-racism language is rooted in some critical race theory. Um, and we'll explain more what that means. 
So, as a whole, um, crits, critical race theorists, can tend to view most, if not all, things in terms of oppressor versus oppressed people, i.e., in our case in America, the white race in power, um, oppressing the black race out of power. Um, so there's one group that's in power, and they're yeah. inherently trying to oppress the other group that doesn't have power. And in America, that is white versus black. Yeah. So, um, it basically kind of believes that since that's the dynamic in America that America in our systems are inherently racist and racism is ingrained in our system and the fabric of America's being, i.e. like America could have no racist people left in it, but it still might have some racist systems or racist residue that are affecting people and oppressing the minority groups. Um, it argues that the American legal and economic system was built on white supremacy and racism. And since it was created by white supremacists and racists, therefore it still has carried on some white supremacy and racism in it. Um, it focuses a little bit more on how our law systems and ways of being <clears throat> affect racial minorities as groups rather than individuals. So it's not necessarily claiming that every black person is being oppressed by every white person, but generally the white group is oppressing the black group. Yeah. You have to think in terms of groups of people. You have to think in terms of systems. Uh, Colton, just in explaining the roots of this, you can see how it's already so muddily intellectual. We've used a lot of big words already. And that's part of the scariness of this is we're ready to go ahead and just start throwing out all these terms that you'd find in the academy and then say that this is the bad thing when it's really disconnected from uh, just the actual experiences of people. And so when we're thinking about critical race theory, you have to move your brain into the opposite version of American individualism into how does this affect people, systems, and, and cultures as a whole. Uh, and, and again, in the church, we're ideologically supposed to be the most collective and communal kind of group that the Lord has established on the earth. And yet, once we start talking about systems and people and group identities, all of a sudden it's bad because we've really drank in the Kool-Aid of individualism. And so anything that claims to talk about groups seems to, in the church, especially the critical race theory, turn into just an intellectual debate and we don't want to talk about it. <laughs> So, or an intellectual dismissal for those dismissal, who don't want to right, talk right, about it. Right. So, basically, for critical race theory, there's some people that use it as a tool, as a theory, um, as a way of kind of deconstructing some things. And there's other people that are full-blown critical race theorists. It's their worldview. Um, it's how they fundamentally view the world. Um, and so, as we kind of go into even more tenets of it, realize that this isn't, this isn't something that every person who believes in critical race theory has adopted every tenet. <clears throat> in the same way, there are some people who have adopted every tenet. Um, and there's actually two main factions within critical race theory. And again, this is a deep dive <laughs> because I there's nowhere else. We're talking about this so much in the church generally, um, if you're involved in pastoral spheres, academia. Um, but very few of us actually know what people are arguing about. So there's three main tenets. The first one is that racism is ordinary, not aberrational. Basically, this means that racism is difficult to address or cure because it's not always acknowledged or seen. I think we can kind of see that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's something, even as we go through this, maybe Ryan, both of us can kind of like, okay, like I see that, that's good. Or, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. Right. That way we can show once and for all we are not critical race theorists. Yeah, this is real time. Real time. Right uh, so basically, tenet one, racism is, or racism is ordinary, not aberrational. Um, so it's not just a random lynching. Um, but it's something that actually has become ordinary yeah. um, in our society and how we interact. Um, so therefore, CRT really kind of hates colorblind solutions that can only remedy kind of the most blatant racism. So if we want to say, you know, I don't see color, it doesn't affect that, really is only helpful when we're talking about like, I'm not giving you a job because you're black. So therefore, if you don't, you judge people by color, that might help. 
But we have a whole episode on colorblind theology, so. Yeah, so just go back to that one. <laughs> so, tenant one, kind of helpful. Tenant two, um, our Western American system favors white over colored people and serves purposes towards the dominant group, i.e. white people. Ryan, when you think of the American system, do you think it favors white people over colored people? Uh, yes, because that's how it started. Okay. Um, that's like the most, that's the easiest way to draw a straight line. If you think about, you know, ships landing in 1619 and uh, the transatlantic slave trade. I mean, how did the nation start? It was white Anglo people who owned black slaves from West Africa, mm -hmm. and they built an economy on that system uh, that turned into agriculture, turned into a bunch of different um, sorts of ways of gaining money from sharecropping and other things. And basically, the, the wealth provided uh, off of manual slave labor created a bunch of advantages in the beginning. So it's just inertia. Uh, yeah. And so America started <clears throat> that way. Therefore, it still... Um, I believe does favor uh, white overcolored people, and yet there has been progress. So I'm not going to say that nothing has changed. I'm not going to say that nothing MLK did, or Ada B. Wells did, or Frederick Douglass, or uh, W. E. B. Du Bois did. <laughs> du Bois. Du Bois. <laughs> we're not going to we're not going to say nothing they did has changed anything or helped advantage things for black people and other races, but. Definitely, America started that way, and I think it'd be really hard to disagree with that. Well, Ryan, we're going to pause there okay. because we have a whole episode on current systemic racism. So <laughs> great, they'll have to wait a couple weeks and tune in for that one. Yeah. Um, but stay tuned. The, the question we're going to answer, or at least try to answer, or at least mm -hmm. formulate thoughts around in systemic racism, that episode, mm -hmm. is basically, we all agree systemic racism existed before the 60s. I, yeah. I think so. Most of us would agree with that. Yeah. Right. Does it exist now? And that's the that's question. That's the question. But CRT is really rooting it. Since it started racist, mm -hmm. it's carried racist. Yeah. Okay. Um, tenet three. Race and races are social products that were invented. I.e., like, race is not a thing naturally existing. It was basically conducted. It was uh, made up to oppress. Yeah. Um, so, basically, the dominant group can now stop using race when mm -hmm. it's beneficial to them. But they can all use race when they want to use it to oppress. Yeah. So, Ryan, do you think when we look at history was race invented yeah dude it was uh th there's another uh, podcast called um seeing white uh Ooh. by john buen yes and chindrai kumanika from seen on radio from seen on radio and they basically walk you through how Gerard gerardo zurara uh it's the best way i can do it he's a portuguese uh merchant them portuguese man yeah dude they went hard in 1400s yeah. and basically he kind of created gerardo did uh, in 1454, this label of black Africans as uh, a racial thing. Like, he kind of invented this idea that there's this racial system based upon color to help justify enslaving people in West Africa. It, before that, what I know, both biblically and sociologically, uh, especially when we think about the how the modern West has arisen and how we have a lot of our roots in Greek and Roman and Western thought, you weren't defined by your color back in those days. You're defined by where you grew up, your ethnicity, your name. And so a Greek was a Greek, a Jew was a Jew, a Roman was a Roman. Um, you weren't a black Roman. You weren't a white Roman. You were just, if you had the citizenship, if you spoke the language and the culture and that's where you're from, that's what you were. Uh, Ethiopians were Ethiopians. Nigerians were Nigerians. They weren't black. They were <laughs> Ethiopians and Nigerians. And so, yeah, race had to become made up. Even think about that thing I said earlier. 
a couple episodes ago. There's this thing where I don't have a National Nigerian Day in America. Uh, we have Black History. And it's like, well, why Black History? Well, that was the label thrown on to anybody who was African, dark skin, and, and brought over. Uh, there was no ethnic identity because you were ripped away from that. So you weren't Nigerian or Ghanaian or uh, Zambian anymore. Now you're just black. And that was a made-up label, which now we carry. And if you want to learn more about that, stay tuned in a couple weeks for our other episode on white privilege. <laughs> mm, fun times. Um, so all that is to say, those are the main three tenets. Um, tenet one being... Um, let me pull this up here. Tenet one being that racism is ordinary, not aberrational. I.e. Right. racism is not just founded as the most extreme cases. It's found in the ordinary. Yep. Um, our system favors white people over colored people. And that can be uh, one for debate and really mm-hmm. on, on the where of it and the how and the why. And then three, that, that race is a social product. Um, it was invented. Um, and I think for most of the part, for those three tenets, although we're not critical race theories, we could yeah. see how those fit into a one of like an understanding of history yeah. and two, an understanding of the scriptures. Yeah. Um, so moving from that, in terms of actually critical race theorists, people who use this as a whole worldview, um, there's kind of two groups. So those are the three main tenets that pretty much everyone holds to. And there's two main groups. And this will really help bring it down to help you see where critical race theory kind of comes up in maybe everyday life. Um, so the first group is the idealists. Um, and the second group is the materialists. But the first group, idealists, they hold that racism and discrimination are matters of thinking, mental categorization, attitude, and discourse. Therefore, you can undo and unmake racism by changing our language, attitudes, scripts, and social teachings. Um, the solution to this might be to instill more campus speech codes, have diversity seminars, and increasing representation through media. Um, these might be the people that you see are kind of the, the PC police. Right. Um, they're the people that are trying to monitor everyone's tone. They're the ones that call you out when you say something bad. They're the ones that are trying to... Um, change our language on campuses and in workplaces and different things like that. Yeah. Um, these are the idealists. Um, and some people might be perpetuating these things for not even critical race theory motivations. It might be a different motivation entirely. Um, but this is like, I think, what a lot of people, when they think of critical race theory, they think of these kind of people. Yeah. The um, ones that will just basically show up and be like, uh, watch what you said. You know who's in the room. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden you feel exhausted because you didn't do your wokeness uh, exactly. teaching before you showed up. Like when I was on that webinar... Um, yeah. and I was going to ask this, some of the students what their favorite Thanksgiving meal was. Mm-hmm. And I had a colleague correct me and tell me that Thanksgiving was a colonizer's holiday and I shouldn't ask that, Woo. which granted there's some merit to that. Yeah. Um, I should be checked on that, but it's that kind of environment where it's basically mm-hmm. their whole hope is to change how we think, mm-hmm. change how we categorize and change our attitudes and discourse. And that will undo racism in our society. So it's yeah. focus actually more on an individual level, on a language level. And if we can change our language and our minds and our words about racism, that will change racism in society. Would it be a stretch to say that this is where people want to say that education is like a main solution for the idealists? Uh, yes, although okay. they both would uh, lean into education. But when we think of conservatives' big beef with the modern college, liberal college, and how they're all just like liberal institutions that are just indoctrinating our youth yeah this is what they're thinking of they're thinking of the idealists the idealists Um, the gatekeeping the language all of this but materialists will um have some focus on education but you're right in the sense that idealists are more focused in the educational realm Mm -hmm. we need to make sure all these kids that we're graduating have Mm -hmm. the right language have the Mm -hmm. right words have the right scripts so when they go into their next places 
there's not racism being perpetrated. I can't say that word. Perp- I said it on most of episodes. Dude. Perpetrated. <laughs> oh, perpetrated or perpetuated? <laughs> per- I don't know. Papaya. I'm I keep on saying to perpetrate. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. That, so makes, they, that makes a lot of sense. They may not even like that accent I just used. Right. Because. Well, I am Italian, though, so it'd be, it'd be murky water. It is murky water. It'd be murky water, water right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the materialists, the second group. This is a group that I'd actually say that I maybe align a little bit more with their aims and goals. Um, although I see the merit in the idealists. Yeah. Um, so materialists hold, and this is within critical race theory, critical race theory uh, materialists hold that although attitudes and words are important, racism is more of how society allocates its privilege and status. Um, so instead of just focusing on the words we use or the social scripts or our language or categorization, it focuses more on the system. Um, and it believes that the system explains and rationalizes racism for its exploitative measures. I.e., you can see this in how Europeans dehumanized Africans post-slavery um, when they used to have pretty good views before. So, for instance, let's say we're Europeans, we're Portuguese, Portuguese people, and we want to take over this Western African place and we want to enslave their people. We feel bad about that. So what we do, even though we liked Africans before, since we want to exploit them, we create racism, we create race in order to justify doing that. Yeah. And we see this all throughout um, where you'll see a group that used to view a different group favorably and until they wanted to exploit them, then they mark them off as savages, mark them off as um, unintelligent, uh, not progressed. Basically, when you look at the Anything that can dehumanize exactly. human. Make them less than human to soothe your conscience. And it's not originally how they viewed them. No. But that justification, that racist justification comes later because they want to exploit them. So it's not necessarily about race because race was invented. It's about power. Oh. And it's about exploiting. Oh. Um, so that's the materialist more hold that the solution then is to change the circumstances of minorities' lives before racism will go away. Um, so we can't just change language and assume that now black people get out of poverty. Like the idealists. Um, like the idealists. They say more, we have to focus on getting them out of poverty. And once white people see them as equals out of poverty, then there's more likely that the category and language will change as well. So the power follows the worldview in some Mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. So basically they're trying to get at this on two different sides. One side is saying change the language and that Mm -hmm. will change the circumstances and systems of Mm -hmm. minorities. The other side is saying change the systems and circumstances and Mm -hmm. that will change the language. And this is all within the realm of the applications of CRT. Yep, critical race theory. So that's critical race theory as a whole. Um, Obviously there's a lot more in that, but go read a book, go read it online. We're not experts. But often attached to critical race theory is intersectionality. Ooh, baby. (laughs) So Ryan, when... Have you ever been accused of using intersectionality? Yes. Or, okay. <laughs> I don't even know the answer to that one. I, that was an honest question. Um, I don't think I've ever been accused of using intersectionality. I've been accused of being a Marxist, a liberal, mm-hmm. um, unbiblical, critical race theorist. But mm-hmm. intersectionality is one I don't think I've been accused of. Yeah, it's one that is also really, really new for me, too. Because I was like, yo, I don't even know what this means. Like, I've actually been applauded for intersectionality use in my language by people who believe in it. Oh, really? So I've had positive affirmation for intersectionality, but I haven't had negative condemnation about using intersectionality. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, actually. <laughs> so like when I say I'm a white, straight, uh, Christian okay. man, yeah, that's kind of using, we'll explain this, but that's kind of using intersectionality, and that's normally like it's applauded, like thank you for giving us all of your descriptors. Okay, the descriptors. Um, that's pretty idealist. Then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so let's talk about <laughs> intersectionality before okay. I'll, I'll confuse the waters anymore. Yeah. Um, so basically, intersectionality is this idea that we have identities that are intersecting with one another. Okay. Um, so it, it basically saying that no one person has a single identity. You are not just white. 
Mm-hmm. You are not just a man. Mm-hmm. You are not just a woman. You are not just Christian. Mm-hmm. You have multiple identities that mm-hmm. are overlapping, that right. are intersecting. Um, some might be bringing out different loyalties within you. Um, so me being a Christian Italian man, I might have some Italian or uh, allegiances to my Italian side. I might have some allegiance to my Christian side. I might have some loyalties to being a man and what that means. Um, so sometimes these overlap because some Christian and some Italian stuff overlap. We both like eating a lot of food at the table. I don't know where else it overlaps other than being loud. I guess that's that's something that's good. Christian community. Yeah, oh yeah, sure, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that- Italians love hanging out, it seems. Uh, my, all my Italian friends love meals, and I can't just go over to Craig's house eat. for one hour. You got to eat. Like, it's four and hours. And then you got to talk, and then you got to drink a little bit, and then you got to eat some more, and yes. then you got to go on a walk. Yeah. It's beautiful. So anyway, intersectionality is basically that you have these multiple identities. Some of them overlap. Some of them may conflict, um, and they might draw different loyalties. Um, so basically, again, when you hear someone on Twitter say, I am a cisgendered, gay caribbean woman they're showing you all their different identities so you can kind of piece together maybe some of where they're coming from some of like their experiences and different things like that um so it's kind of a marker to yeah understand. kind of like trying to highlight some nuance yeah and so that's how most people use intersectionality okay um but it's it's also used that kind of in a way that if you have a minority status you are presumed to have immediate competence um to communicate to white counterparts what they're missing so ryan you as a black man as a minority there's a presumed competence that now I can turn to you to say, hey, help me see my white blind spots. Since you are in the minority and I'm in the major- majority, I have blind spots being the majority. You have you can see those more clearly since you're not a part of that. And you are just assumed to have that competence. So this is basically assuming that every minority person knows stuff about the white community. The white community doesn't. It can help us see things that we don't see. There might be a lot of <laughs> dissent and discussion about that yeah. amongst people. Ultimately, intersectionality can be used to focus in on finding the most oppressed group within all of our identities and trying to listen to them to help us find and see our blind spots. I.e., um, when I was at a Black Lives Matter march, um, there was a lot of push by some people to really focus on black trans lives. Because if you look at oppressed groups, black people are oppressed. And then within black people who are also oppressed even more than that, trans people. So then you have black trans lives. Those are the ones we need to focus on most. And black trans people can give us the most insight onto Mm. where to go forward. So it's finding the most oppressed group or the most oppressed identity group, and that might have the the most wisdom for the greater culture. Um, So it's almost finding, I don't want to use this in a negative way, but finding the lowest common denominator, someone who doesn't share any of the things that has the most oppressive titles, identities, labels, heritage, whatever. And those are the people that actually truly have the truth while the rest of us are kind of blinded by our different majority identities. So Ryan, you as a black person, have insight into things that I don't have as a white person, but your maleness blocks some of that because your maleness is in the majority in terms of power. I know this might be confusing <laughs> for everyone to listen to, um, but you've probably seen this somewhat if you've engaged on Twitter, if you engaged um, in some liberal spaces. Yeah. Intersectionality is a big focus. Okay. I can see how I've been labeled an intersectionality mm-hmm. Uh, ist. person ist there's not uh, an easy word like crits yeah yeah race theory yeah, yeah speaking yeah. of crits grits i had them for the first time how'd you feel um, tell not too long tell ago me. Uh, they were really good you liked them yeah dude it took me a long time this is a black confession for all my black millennials out there who grew up eating grits uh on saturdays basically i didn't like them until i was about 11 and until i mixed them with my eggs then uh, I put the salt and pepper and a little bit of hot sauce on the grits, and it was popping. Before that, I was like, Mom, why? And then I understood. It took me a while, so I'm glad you like them. I like grits. 
So you were talking about inter- oh, yeah. you're, you've been accused of being an intersectionality. Yeah, case. yeah. I think <laughs> I, if you're a pastor, you're kind of screwed if you want to <laughs> do anything, anything, because intersectionality as a follower of Jesus, and especially as a pastor, when you're equipped and empowered by the spirit to listen to people's stories and empathize and to help them see where God is moving in their life and to pray with them about the things that concern them, you're going to have to listen to a lot of stories and you're going to have to highlight specific instances that shape their souls, that have shaped their background, that have shaped their hearts and their worldview, even if they claim Christianity, which they do. The thing is, Genesis 2.24 talks about how uh, we have to leave our father and mother's house. And there's an implication in that that means you grew up understanding something and God, in order for you to move into your kingdom ruling and your subduing of the earth, uh, which comes in a couple of verses later, you have to like learn an identity that God gives you. And you have to grow into an identity that ultimately is in Christ. But God has made an identity for you. And so you have all these backgrounds and experiences. So if I'm going to be a pastor and I'm going to listen to somebody coming out of whatever environment they grew up in or whatever environment they're in right now, especially a student ministries pastor, I have to try to trace all the various things that have shaped their experience. And intersectionality seems to be that in some ways of you're trying to listen for various experiences and trying to see where you can come to solutions and and helps. And as a pastor, I'm trying to go, okay, what has happened to you? And now what's God doing with that? And and how can we find healing? And so I just want to take people's stories seriously, yeah. which is which probably is where, why I would be called yeah. an intersectionality Ist. <laughs> so it's 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 it can be helpful. Yeah. Um, and you can't really avoid it in today's day and age. No. So it's helpful to know where it's coming from. And again, when we think about groups of people, systems interact. Yeah. And so it I don't yeah. It's so enough about enough about intersectionality. Okay. Um because ne- neither of us are truly intersectionality is because we don't just find the most oppressed group and trust them. We know that all people have flawed thinking. Yeah. Although I think there's a general rule that someone who's been oppressed by someone who's in the oppressor role, mm-hmm. they might have something to see of the blind spots. Definitely. <laughs> um, I think yeah. that's just kind of obvious. If you are oppressing someone, mm-hmm. that you might have some blind spots that they might be able to see more clearly than you you can yourself. Yeah. So let's let's talk about some of the responses to CRT. Some people say that CRT is rooted in Marxism or it's rooted in, rooted in communism, which is inherently atheist. Wait, hold on. Marxism or communism? It doesn't. It's all the same. It's all the same now. now. Okay. Got it. Um, I know they're different strands, but we're yeah. just we're just going by the language of the time. Right, the language of the times. So they say, since it's rooted in Marxism, we can't take anything from it. Um, we cannot believe in any part of critical race theory, even the good things it might offer us, because it's rooted in things that are unchristian. Ryan, do you think that's the case? Like, do you think since CRT might be rooted in Marxism, which is rooted in atheism, and since we are not atheists, therefore we can't take anything of value from this? the system <laughs> uh this kind of goes back to that that kind of quip i had earlier about christians really don't need to be afraid of anything intellectually uh we have the gospel we have the scriptures we have a worldview we have the proverbs uh and the psalms and wisdom literature uh to really help us build a intellectual framework to understand how to navigate good and evil uh, hebrews talks about how we discern and grow our powers of knowledge uh, uh, grow our powers of discerning between the knowledge of good and evil. And so to me, I just am like, okay, yeah, I guess we can't believe that. That's, that's fine. Uh, but it's not going to, that's not salvific. It's not salvific <laughs> knowledge. So there's nothing about salvation or sanctification that is uh, necessary <laughs> in critical race theory, but 
just like we have Christian scientists and Christian uh, philosophers and Christian mechanics and Christian artists, they all have a discipline and a skill that's in common grace. So why can't we just like think about this common grace thinking or philosophy well, or whatever? My mechanics theory on fixing my car isn't rooted in Marxism, Ryan. Oh, you're Checkmate. right. Checkmate. Atheists. Atheists. <laughs> um, um, so when you, when you think of, I think in some ways, although I don't agree with it, I think that's fair. Yeah. But then if you're going to take that stance, then you need to take that stance that anything that's not rooted in an inherently Christian worldview, explicitly Christian worldview, you have to throw it out. So yeah. you have to throw out Christmas because yep. that's rooted in a, a pagan, pagan worship yeah. that was to Nimrod. Yeah. Um, I actually had a message about this from one of my students at the university I work at. They said, how dare you guys hold a Christmas ceremony and worshiping Nimrod? You guys are not Christians. So they're they're at least consistent. Nimrod, huh? Nimrod. Nephilim. Um, <laughs> you love to see him. <laughs> what do we do with the Declaration of Independence? Who this might be a hot take? Oh, who we it doing was, it? It was written by Thomas Jefferson, who right. was a deist, deist, not a Christian, no, at all. He wrote the thing. Yeah. So it might have some Christian attributes in it, but it's inherently rooted in a deist thinker. Yeah. So does that mean we have to throw out the Declaration of Independence? Does that mean that you know some of the things in the Declaration of Independence aren't profitable to us? Um, if you want to take that stance, then go ahead, throw out everything that's unChristian, and you become Amish. Yeah. I don't even think the Amish do that because I think I they, don't think they do either because <laughs> they do have to go into town at some point. Yeah, yeah. So, regardless, that's just to say something's rooted in Marxism, so therefore I can't follow it. It's just not even a helpful discussion. No. Like, so it's inconsistent at best. Yeah. <laughs> in other ways, CRT is kind of it's just kind of a Marxist scare in general. It's a yeah. communist scare, and it's similar to in the early two thousands. Ryan, I don't know if you remember this. We were both young. Um, but the emerging theology, the emerging oh, church. Oh, the emerging church. Yeah, I actually have read, I've read actual multiple articles uh-huh. and an entire book about it. Uh-huh. So Kevin yeah. DeYoung and Ted yeah. Cluck, yeah. why we're not emergent. Yeah. Yeah. All, all, all of our dogs were against emerging. Ed Stetzer, um, all these guys, oh. these big pastors were against the emergent church. Yeah. And saying it's the, one of the most damaging things that is going to happen. This is okay. in the early 2000s. Okay. It, for those of you who are listening, maybe unless you're older and been involved, do you even know what that is? Because I'm telling you, at the turn of the early 2000s, there was a bunch of articles and things and big warnings about the emerging church that was going to destroy the American Christianity. Same thing like critical race theory is now. Uh, Mark Driscoll, Scott McKnight, Ed Stetzer, John MacArthur, and others expressed this concern. Oh, it wasn't Ted Kluck. Sorry. I think that was just Kevin DeYoung. Okay. Ted Kluck was with another. I know DeYoung was against it. Okay. Um, I remember reading his name. And they were all basically calling this thing, the emerging church, the emerging theology, unbiblical, heretical, um, and unchristian, i.e. a lot like critical race theory. Oh, man. Um, and basically, it was this idea that some of these churches are leaning towards like a, mo- a more post- postmodern view of scripture, where they leaned a little bit more into mysticism um, rather than reason, and they held more open hands when reading the scriptures rather than literal readings. Um, and, and in these churches, they try to be a little bit more relevant. So some, in order to reach people, some of these churches tried to meet in bars or skate yeah, parks or dude. even in homes. I remember that, yeah. And... All Lots more things. candles. Yeah. I think this is where worship in the round showed up. Like, yep. Yep. so we could like teach on the stage, have the flat stand, and then spin around and talk. Yep. Oh man! So it's actually something that's actually become very involved in our churches. And yeah, a lot of these guys that were sounding the horn about it being bad uh-huh. are now practicing are some of the good things, doing some of the things that worked. Okay. I.e., like, hey, if people are meeting at a skate park, go meet them there. And, yeah, uh, you know, contextualize the gospel to them yeah. rather than just saying. Jesus died for your sins. Believe it. Yeah. That may not work to a kid who's just trying to skate 
and smoke some weed. Yes. <laughs> you got to meet him where he's at and contextualize yeah. it. AKA my man, Tim Mackey, grew up at skate church. Exactly. Literally, was like, if you want to hear about Jesus, you have to Our like, youth stay. room used to have a big skate ramp in it. Oh, man. Remember that? Were you there for those days? Oh. The fifth and sixth room had a half pipe. It had a half pipe. <laughs> I remember this, actually. That was before my time as a pastor. A long time ago. So, again... Every 10, 20, 30, 50, whatever years, <laughs> we Christians find some new thing to be scared about. And it turns out it's not actually taking hold of all of our children as we thought it was. Mm. It's not destroying the church. Um, and if it is, if it does start to destroy the church, don't you think the Holy Spirit will kind of step in and help us? So that's kind of with critical race theory. I feel like it's at the end of the day, it, it's become this scare. It's become this thing that's really not helpful. Um, it's just, it's just a theory. Like at the end of the day, like it's just something we can use. It's kind of like family systems theory, Ryan. I don't know if you have a psychological background like I did in some of my seminary training. Yeah, I had to learn a little bit about this, um, so but you've got more than me, definitely. So basically, family systems theory, you basically view people in the dynamics of family. You don't view people as individuals. You view them as interacting with a family. So if dad has some dramatic change, that affects everyone else in the family. If mom has a dramatic change, it affects everyone else. If a sibling does, so it, it takes into sibling order consideration. So Ryan being a middle child, we yep. can know some things about you by being a middle child. Yeah. Um, always in the backseat of the car. You mm-hmm. don't get your way. You don't have no. any preferences. You don't get a choice. It's always the baby of the family or the eldest of the family get to decide what's going on. Yep. So family systems theory is a tool um, that can become that. But just like with critical race theory, if we make family systems theory my whole worldview, where I view everything under the guise of daddy issues <laughs> and just see daddy issues in absolutely everything, <laughs> it can actually probably not be helpful. It might be destructive. And so in the same way with critical race theory, there might be some helpful aspects to it. But again, I think we would both say that if you take it as a whole worldview, we would stand against that. Yeah, that's critical race theory doesn't have to become this like dominating worldview that we hold up like doctrine. Like no one, no, no one I know that's a Christian that's talking about it is doing that or like that's using it as a tool is making it gospel. Uh, so that's just it, it's so interesting to me. Yeah. So, right. When we think of what the Bible might have to say about some of the tenets of critical race theory, some of the things about critical race theory. Is there anything you think the scriptures have to tell us? Or do we even see some critical race theories coming up in scriptures or something adjacent or equivalent? Um, basically, how should we view this biblically? Yeah, uh, I know I know you've got some thoughts definitely lined up for looking at Paul and Corinthians, but I think Love some Paul. We, we might as well jump to the Old Testament too, just to get, we're going to be biblical theological. No, we're only New Testament Christians. Oh man. <laughs> Oh, man. And within that, only red letter. Only red letter, yes. Uh, The Holy Spirit oversaw the red dye. So, speaking of red dye, Exodus, okay? So, Thomas Jefferson cut that out of the Bible, right? Nice. So, to go back to Thomas Jefferson. Well, how would you own slaves if you had uh, (laughs) Exodus? You were slaves in Egypt. Not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, Cut that out. Obey your masters. So, so you have this idea of Egypt was this uh, economical power system. That was a superpower in the known world at the time of the Exodus. And Egypt was was it. And the Pharaoh didn't have a name. And Pharaoh didn't have a name because evil doesn't get named in the Bible because we don't want to give it dignity. Uh, or the authors of the Hebrew Bible didn't want to give it dignity. And so Pharaoh is basically using slave labor. Uh, he takes away the straws so that the Israelites can't make bricks, but then demands that they make the same amount of bricks, right? So you have this like incredible uh, distrust, dehumanization and hatred of a race that once prospered alongside the uh, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And then over time, that Pharaoh didn't care about uh, Joseph and his family, who were the descendants that were uh, doing great and sharing the prosperity of Egypt because, you know, 
if you know anything about the story of Joseph, he became second in command and helped stop a famine in the Middle East, all by being faithful to the Lord and being faithful to Yahweh. And so what happened was uh, the Israelites over 400 years uh, became uh, engulfed in this really oppressive, specifically economic system. And what did God do? He heard the cries of his people. And he said, hey, I'm actually going to make Pharaoh realize that I'm Yahweh and none of these Egyptian gods, and I'm going to free my people uh, using Moses and Aaron. And that's what he did. And so there was a national identity that had to get ripped away from the Israelites when God took them to Sinai because they didn't know how to be a nation. All they knew was the ways that Egyptians hated them and taught them how to eat and taught them about their gods. And now we have Yahweh saying, no, actually, I'm your God, and here's how I'm going to make you a people and I'm going to have a relationship with you. And they had to unlearn all of these things that they learned about themselves from the people who were uh, in power. And so I'm not saying that the Exodus is a clear line of critical race theory, but you can see the ways in which a system was designed to hurt the Israelites from the Egyptians, and God had to undo that. That's a thing that you saw, and you see it in Numbers and in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, the ways of thinking and the patterns and habits uh, that were ingrained into the Israelites from from Egypt that then had to become undone uh, by God's grace and Moses' leadership. Well, and critical race theory didn't exist in the time of Moses, no. so it won't be the primary lens through which he of course wrote not. the scriptures. Race didn't exist yeah. in the time of Moses. And so, so that wasn't even race. That was, uh, I guess you could call that critical ethnic, ethnic theory. theory? Uh, Kretz. Kretz, yeah. <laughs> and wasn't Moses, wasn't Moses' wife? Yeah, Zipporah was a Kushite, so she's yeah, it's black. A, there's dude. a lot of intersectionality happening here. Oh, man. Look at that. Oh, boy. Here we are. <laughs> Uh, um, take us there, Cole. Maybe, maybe you've got some thoughts on the New Testament. I love the New Testament. I like the Old Testament, but it's hard sometimes. But we can't just toss it away because it's hard. Or old. Or old. Yeah. We just like new things. We're Americans. Yeah, dude. Emerging. Emerging. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> so when you look at 1 Corinthians, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, there's this debate. This is one of my favorite, it's not a good thing, but one of my favorite aspects of Scripture because it's really pertinent to our times in so many ways. Um, but when you look at 1 Corinthians 12, there's this problem happening in the church that Paul's addressing, where basically they're, they're meeting for communion. And back in those days, communion wasn't like just where you walk up to the altar at a service and take it. It was a meal you had together um, as the Christian community. So they were having this meal together, and they'd meet together every week to do this. But the problem was that as the church is nowadays and for eternity, has been made up of rich and poor and, and strong and weak and different classes and different peoples. There was rich and poor people, and the rich people don't work. Um, because they got a lot of money, they don't work as long, so they have a lot of hours. And the poor people in the community worked very long hours, oh, wow. um, often working in the fields. And so what would happen, or what was happening in Corinth, was that when they were going to get like to meet together, to have this food, to have this meal together, the rich people started eating and drinking before the poor people even got off work. Because they wanted to start eating when dinner time was, but the poor people couldn't make it there until they got in from the fields or oh, in wow. from their longer kind of hours. Yeah. Fishing or and, and so what happened is, is the poor people would show up to the party, basically, and everyone was already drunk and already in the full swing of it. And so it was this big, like, dividing wall between the rich and the poor. The poor hadn't eaten yet. The rich were already full and fat and happy and merry and drunk. And the poor were basically having to wait and get the scraps after the fact. The food and this is cool. communion. This is communion. This is like the <laughs> meal it. that's supposed to make everyone one. Right. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians 12, is addressing this. And he actually tells them that some of them are dying because of this. Like, literally, they're being... They're falling asleep because they're hurting one another in terms of this, this way of interacting. But he basically critiques the rich 
for eating before the poor get there. Basically saying that is so antithetical to the gospel and to the new Christian community. But can you imagine if you were one of these rich people in the time, you might not even be aware of how that's oppressing the poor people. You're just thinking, oh, like, it's time to eat. I'm going to eat. They'll eat later when they get in. Um, it's not a big deal. I'm just going to start drinking the wine now. We'll have enough left over, I guess. It'll be okay. There'll be some left over. You might even be aware of it because you just always have done it this way. This is always how the ancient world worked, where the rich were already eating. The poor might would either be waiting on them or they get to the table late because they had to work longer. Right. So you're not even aware of it. Just because you grew up in this rich household, you, ha- you had no idea. And so Paul actually makes them aware of their blind spot by showing the rich people how they're neglecting the poor in their own midst mm-hmm. and how they're reinforcing class distinctions. Ah, so yeah. in the same way, critical race theory can be a helpful tool to help us see the distinctions that are already put in place in society by our racist history and help us see as Christians, how do we not reinforce those, reinstill those, um, or reinforce them in ways that we might not even be aware of as white people. And so critical race theory might be a helpful tool like Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians 12 here to show us the distinctions that are already here, show us the ways we already work these things out, and show us how we can then abolish them to make us all one in yeah. Christ Jesus. So again, I, I don't really have a big issue with critical race theory. As a worldview, yeah, I can see how it becomes pretty damaging or pretty dangerous. Sure. But as a tool, I think it's a great tool. Yeah. Um, it's not my only tool. It's not my primary tool. But it's one. One of many. So let's let's close, because this has been a long episode. <laughs> let's close um, with a quote from David French. David French is a popular Christian conservative political voice. Um, and he says this about CRT. He goes, my answer is complicated, but the bottom line is relatively clear. CRT is more useful and interesting than many of its critics contend, but it ultimately fails as both a totalizing theory of American life and as a philosophy truly compatible with the Christian gospel, i.e. it has a lot more beneficial attributes than critics are giving it credit for, but it still fails if you take it as a worldview. Right. Which is basically what we're saying. Yeah, baby. All right. Well, we'll see you, <laughs> and maybe white privilege, I think, is the next episode. We'll see you. We'll see you then. Sounds good. 